0: What's up guys? Welcome to the show. No mailbag this week, but remember you can email us in at icgawpod at gmail.com. You can also tweet us at ikgaw. All that information is in the show notes. Feel free to shoot them in and join the conversation. uh, In my time off over the last week or so, I tweaked with the intro music a little bit, so I hope you like it. Um, We'll see you guys in a second. All right, here we go. (laughs) in line and dragged it right through and took his shot He scores Jack Eichel oh my what a play coming soon to a theater near you sick miss starring Jack Eichel What's up, my friends? Welcome to It Can't Get Any Worse, America's Worst Podcast for America's Worst Hockey Team. They certainly feel like America's Worst Hockey Team over the last month and a half or so. I do want to start off by apologizing. Um, On our last episode, I did announce that I had planned to... Come at you guys with an episode before the Canadian road trip, um, previewing those three games and recapping the previous two. And that didn't happen, unfortunately, work and life got a little busy, but I spent some time just taking a break, and I felt like it was a good time to take a small break. It was kind of hard to watch those games, obviously, with the Canadian Western Coast trip, with the games being so late at night, but also just the fact that morale was just a little low, and I felt like stepping away for just a few minutes was good for my mental and emotional health. I still watched most of those games. The weekday ones were kind of tough, but in the meantime... I read a lot, and I, I read a lot of really awesome books. That uh, I'll tell you that I, I read The Girl with All the Gifts by M.R. Carey. That was a really cool movie that came out a couple of years ago, and I bought the book after seeing the movie, and it's an awesome uh, sci-fi thriller read that I would definitely recommend. The one I would really recommend for hockey fans is *Bear Town* by Frederick Bachman. It's a beautiful novel about a hockey town and hockey culture in Sweden. It's an exceptional novel. It's about hockey, but it's more importantly about people and the people around hockey. Exceptional read that I would highly recommend. That whole weekend that we were kind of snowed in and life shut down for a bit, I just sat on my couch and I read, and it was awesome. But we're back, and we got to talk about the Sabres. And I mentioned that stepping away now felt good and that it was particularly beneficial for some mental and emotional checking. But if we come back into the Sabres, we're talking about the Sabres in their 3 6 and 1 in their last 10 games. They've fallen to fifth in their division, and the issues that plagued them. While things were going well, like secondary scoring and not being able to play a full 60 remain, but as we'll talk about as we uh, move through our What Are You Reading section, some extra issues of some less-than-stellar goaltending and some far-less-than-stellar defensive play have compounded that misery. Perhaps that was best displayed in this most recent road trip. They went toe-to-toe with the perennially struggling Oilers and were blown out. Uh, they beat Calgary, the hardest team of the road trip, in overtime, but then they thoroughly outplayed the Canucks, outshooting them 39-23 to while still falling to them through a slew of defensive errors. So let's go back to the very beginning. Because we spent the early part of this season talking about some very, very tenured measured expectations we said that the Sabres didn't need to make the playoffs this season that it would be that would constitute a very quick turnaround from being the worst team in the league we merely wanted to see progress and we wanted to care in February and March that was what we wanted we didn't have to be in a playoff spot we didn't have to be running away with the league. We wanted to care in February and March. We wanted to watch meaningful games and be invested in meaningful games in February and March. And we spent the beginning of this season discussing how we just wanted to be in the conversation for the playoffs. And now that it looks like the Sabres might miss them or might be in a position to miss them, we are bitterly and sometimes violently disappointed but they're exactly where we want them. We're here about to enter February, and we care. The Sabres are playing meaningful games. We've met our standard, but are crushed by the now-perceived underachieving nature of this team. What happened here to change our perspective? I think the simple answer is that the Sabres started winning, and they won quite a bit in the early season. But now we're left looking at this situation questioning how we exactly got here. Is it the nature of the overachieving in the beginning of the season that now makes us so desperately depressed about their current situation sitting just outside of a wild card spot? Is there something a little deeper here? What I'm going to pull from to talk about this is from Mike Harrington in the Buffalo News for our What Are You Reading section and title of this headline is With Season Sliding Away, Sabres Are Facing Tough choices from the Buffalo News, as I said, uh, from January 21st, and we'll read Harrington's opening couple of paragraphs right here. As the Buffalo Sabres hit their bye week and the All-Star break, their season to date is in two distinct packages. It's clear that they weren't nearly as good as their 17-6-2 record over the first 25 games suggested, and they can't possibly be as bad as their 7-12-4 and mark over the next 23 games would indicate either even though it's the worst record in the NHL since the dramatic finale of their 10-game winning streak, the November 27th overtime victory over San Jose. Through 48 games, the Sabres are 24, 18, and 6, according to NHL math. That's 24 and 24 to me. Taken in the context of last year's, 25 and 57 25 45 and 12 that was they're obviously progressing so he's lumping overtime victories into or sorry he's lumping overtime losses into actual losses so he views this year's record as 24 and 24 and he views last year's record as 25 and 57 even though they got 12 additional points in overtime get losses or shootout losses Harrington addresses the idea or the notion that the Sabres don't need to make it this season he does address that and the idea that look we are looking for progress this season as we've talked about that was our goal this season that he addresses my viewpoint essentially that we were looking for progress this season and he essentially calls it cods wallop and he spends the rest of the article essentially posing one question if the sabers are not going to win this season then when are they actually planning on winning Harrington mentions that there is only one team in NHL history to win 10 straight and not make the playoffs, and that was the 16-17 Flyers. So the Sabres would be the second team in NHL history to have a 10-game winning streak and no postseason. Since their 10-win streak, which ended on November 28th, the Sabres are the worst team in the league at 7, 12, and 4 for 18 points, In contrast, the Tampa Bay Lightning, who were roughly even with the Sabres at the time, have put up 41 points in that window. Harrington then goes on into an analysis of the current state of the Sabres, and he drops little inklings about the odd development path of Tage Thompson, the continuous struggles of Alex Nylander's stalling development in the AHL, which we'll talk about later, the crazy insistence on using Vladimir Sabatka as a number two center on the team, and all of this pushed the idea that Jason Botterill needs to take action and try something to shore up the defense and bolster the gun-shy forwards. Harrington states, the view here is that it's critical that the Sabres make the playoffs this year. They haven't been there since 2011, and if you ever have designs on them playing deep into a future spring, their key guys have to find out what it's like. And this is a pretty common narrative that um, NHL... uh, media people like to talk about that you need the experience of playing in the playoffs in order to be successful in the playoffs and Harrington states that the Sabres have the two NHL players with the longest active careers with never making the playoffs Skinner has played 627 regular season games and Zach Bogosian has played 595 Bogosian of course would have certainly many more if he had been healthy They've got quite high numbers elsewhere as well. Ristolainen has 394, Giergensen has 389, Johan Larson has 300, Reinhardt has 297, Eichel has 254, and Jake McCabe has 253. Obviously, those guys are all with the Sabres, and in their entire tenure with the Sabres, they have not made the playoffs. Herringen's point is not that they need to be going for it and need to be contenders but that the Sabres are totally devoid of playoff experience and you don't make those late playoff runs without the experience of playing in the playoffs prior to that it's a completely different game when you get to that point he does have a bit of a dive into how the Sabres might not have anyone to fear in the east which is kind of interesting if they played Tampa as the wild card number two All of the games against Tampa this season have been very close affairs and have in fact only been one goal games. If they played the Islanders, who currently lead the Metro, they're hot right now but they're certainly not elite they're actually a team that's quite similar in makeup to the Sabres the Capitals are currently in free fall so there wouldn't necessarily at this time be too much to fear at this point Columbus has never won a playoff round like while there are some very impressive stories in the east there aren't a lot of teams that the Sabres could be matched up in even as a wild card position where they would really look at the teams and think wow we have no chance in this environment all right So maybe we do want to make the playoffs. So let's talk about what's gone wrong. And Harrington has a statistical dive here. He breaks it up across the first 25 games, and that was where the 10-game win streak occurred, and the next 23 games after that November 28th game. And so I'll run through a few stats. Some of these to most of these will not be any sort of surprise. As we've talked about, record through the first 25, 17, 6, and 2. Through the next 23, 7, 12, and 4. Goals 4 in the first 25, 76. Next 23, 61. Goals against, 68. Next 23, 75. So obviously a drop down in goal production and an increase in goals allowed. Power play, first 25 games, 19.8%. Next 23 games, 13.6%. Interestingly enough, the penalty kill has gotten marginally better, going 81.9 to 82.5. Corsi five on five has stayed relatively the same, from 49.1 to 49.2. Essentially, meaning that the Sabers are have been straight average across the board in their um, possession play. Faceoffs marginally better, from 47 to, or sorry, 47.8 to 48.9. All of those are pretty straightforward. We know that the Sabres power play has really been struggling over the last 2 months. The penalty kill has been pretty good but not excellent. Um here are the ones that I think has been pretty significant. Carter Hutton's stats through the first 25 games. He had 2.5 goals allowed and a 920 save average. He dropped, or sorry, he rose to 3.16 and 0.898. Linus Allmark also had a drop. He went from 2.52 to 3.17, and his goals against average, sorry, fell from 0. .926 through the first 25 to 0. .907, and that's something we've talked about over the last couple episodes, that the stellar goaltending that has been the backbone of many games, uh, many of the successes over the Sabers' first half of their season, has seen a significant drop over the last few months. There's something here that is not found in any sort of statistic here, and even though some of the stats nerds are really trying to find a way that they can work in a mathematical look into coaching impact, Harrington takes a quick dive here. Then there's the seemingly daily driven by social media question about Housley. It seems absurd to think the Sabres would fire another coach after two years, but Housley will bear the heavy responsibility if this season continues to go down the drain. He's 49, 63, and 18 in two years, and that's counting a 10-game winning streak. Is the system at fault, or is it Botterill's roster construction? So here's the question. Is the problem Phil Housley, or is the problem what Jason Botterill has given Phil Housley? Botterill certainly wants to harvest the first four, sorry, four first-round picks he has over the next two seasons, but the Sabres are improving to the point that none of those players are likely to deliver any instant help because they will be taken too low in the round. At least one of the picks should be in play right now to upgrade their roster with an NHL player. The Sabres' core is clearly defined, especially with the addition of Rasmus Dahlin. Go get a couple veterans to fill out this forward group. Find another defenseman so the world can be spared Housley's bizarre over-reliance on Marco Scandella. His shot-blocking and penalty-killing acumen have not been nearly enough to override his abominable defensive zone play. We've talked about that quite a few times this season. And Harrington closes by saying this, Botterell can't just let this season turn into nothing and then let Housley take all the blame. The trade deadline is just over a month away. Other teams are already making moves. Get to it. Repeating, when are the Sabres going to decide that it's time to win? So I read Mike Harrington's article, and I have to be honest that I'm still not sure what I want to happen or what I want the Sabres to be right now. Obviously, I want them to make the playoffs this season, but I'm not sure what I want to pay for that to happen. I see Harrington's point about the picks and how the players selected um, over the next two seasons won't be able to help the team for several years. There'll be late first-round picks. There'll be players who will require development either in the AHL or in other leagues. But I'm still really hesitant to say that the Sabres should spend them for a few reasons. And as we work through this, let's pretend for simplicity's sake that the Sabres have three first-rounders this year. Um, Just to make the argument simple, and so let's say that the St. Louis pick, that St. Louis gets marginally better, and that pick ends up being 12 or so, so that it's out of the top 10 protection. The Sabres, let's say it ends up being around 18th or so, and the Sharks pick, since they're higher up in the standings, will probably be a late 20s pick. I have three reasons why I would really like to see the Sabres hold on to these picks and actually draft players. Reason number one, if Jason Botterill is good, and we've seen a lot of evidence to show that Jason Botterill is good, the Sabres can draft players who will be worth more than the value of the picks once they are developed. That's a huge if, especially considering um, we're going to be discussing an organization that has Alex Nylander languishing in his development. But if Jason Botterill is as good in the draft as he is at swinging trades. I'd trust him to make selections that can be valuable to the Sabres, either on the ice or on the trade board. A late 20s pick is really low currency in today's market. That's why teams who are really successful are so quick to trade away their late first round picks, because the probability of a late first round pick developing into anything is actually just about the same as a second or third round pick. That seems like an argument towards trading the pick, but I want to emphasize that the player that they draft with that pick could be a player who turns into a star or a promising, promising prospect who could then be twice as valuable as that low currency of that late first round draft pick. Hold on to it and see what you can do with that pick with your development. Reason number two, the Sabres prospect pool could use a few higher class additions. Let's take a look at what we're currently looking at. C.J. Smith is really good and should probably still be with the Sabres. He wasn't even drafted. He was an undrafted free agent. He is an NHL-quality player and will be there next season. Tage Thompson's weird development path seems to be working. Lawrence Pilot is already an NHL player now. I wouldn't even really call him a prospect. But let's look elsewhere. Nylander is floundering. Sean Malone has stagnated after an injury in his preseason. Brendan Gooley is really struggling as well. Asplund and Olofsson look like they could develop into something, but they're still significant maybes at this point. Um, As, sorry, I just mentioned, I'd have Brendan Gooley talked about him out of order. He looked like a future star last season and has been a complete enigma this season. We're looking for him to make a big turnaround if he's going to be anything anytime soon. The era of Nick Baptiste, and we'll talk about in our down-the-road section, Justin Bailey, is over and that era failed. Bringing in a new era of prospects is going to be needed going forward. Harrington is right; they won't be able to help the team right now, but that does not in any way mean that the Sabers don't need those picks. And I found something on Die by the Blade, which is a great blog if you want to check it out. I actually will post this to Die by the Blade in a second, but it was a rundown from Chad uh, Diaminisis about previous first and second round picks since 2013 and I'll read off this list and you look at the lack of success in the Sabres with these picks going back to 2013 Rasmus Ristolainen still with us the next four players mentioned on here are no longer with the team Zadarov Justin Bailey JT Comfer and Connor Hurley all traded away then we've got Sam Reinhardt then we've got Brendan Lemieux no longer with the team 2014 second-round pick, Eric Cornell, is currently the fourth-line center with the Rochester Americans. He's not going to be an NHL-caliber player anytime in his career. Vlaklav Karabacek is no longer with the Sabres. Then we get into Jack Eichel, Brendan Gooley, Alex Nylander, and Rasmus Asplund over the last Two drafts from 2015 to 2016. Uh, what's not listed is 2017 or 18 because those players are incredibly young and we can't really talk about them in their development at this point. The Sabers need to replenish their ranks. Um, we don't have a solid base of prospects from that era to, to rely on anymore. They're not something that that, that that ever turned out. We need to replenish those ranks and draft these four high-caliber players. Last reason. And this is one that's kind of tentative, but the NHL knows that the Sabres have this currency and they're going to push for deals that aren't in the Sabres' favor. It's a miracle that Jason Botterill got Jeff Skinner and Connor Sherry without dropping a single one of those first-round picks. I'm tentative to say Jason Botterill should get back into that market where someone is going to ask directly for those picks knowing that the Sabres have them to burn. So, my opinion, I would prefer to see the Sabres take for first-round players over the next two years. However, that does not mean that I feel that action is not required. Harrington is right. It's time for some moves to be made to improve the current roster. It's time to try something. And as Harrington said, Botterell cannot just sit around and let Housley take the fall for the malaise of this season. Yes, we don't like the development of Uh, or sorry, the deployment of Sabaka or Scandella. But just how many options does Housley have for alternatives? Some, but not that many. Give him an opportunity to try something else. I want those picks, but I also want something to happen, and I'm not sure what that's supposed to look like. I don't envy Jason Botterell's position right now. A few weeks ago, we talked about how the simplest solution would turn, be turning the logjam at defense into someone who can contribute in the bottom six. Nate Beaulieu and his representation have been vocal recently about him wanting, to, or sorry, his wanting to be traded uh, if his playing situation does not improve. Can you package You and Scandella or Bolu and Hunwick for a decent return? I'm not sure. If I'm another team, I probably don't see much value there. But overall, it's just it's a difficult task as we approach what I'm sure will be a difficult end to the season. If it ends poorly, let's remember that the Sabres have already achieved what we hoped for them to have this season. To get here and to get here the way that they have – and then to not succeed from that point might be difficult. But this is progress. The future is bright. There's great talent coming through the pipeline, and it could be brighter still after this most recent draft, even if things don't end in the way we were looking like and actually end in quite a rough way this regular season. As we've talked about, guys, it might not get much better, but it can't get any worse. Keep those heads up. Moving on to down the road, and the biggest news with the Amex, well, actually, there's a lot of big points over the Amex. I was about to say biggest, and I don't know that this is necessarily it, but Justin Bailey was traded to the Philadelphia Flyers organization, specifically the Lehigh Valley Phantoms, their AHL component, for Taylor Lear. Uh, He was a fourth-round pick in 2012, and... As we mentioned earlier, that's kind of signaled the the complete end of an era of Nick Baptiste and Justin Bailey being two of the most promising prospects in the Sabres pool, and in a span of about six months, maybe a little more, they're both gone. And... It's sad because we we really liked these players, especially with Justin Bailey being a Buffalo native, um, and it's a sad end to an era. But ultimately, as we've talked about, it's a good thing. Those guys had stagnated in their development. They were they were and probably are never going to be an NHL caliber player, um, and so now we have kind of traded. A Justin Bailey for someone else's Justin Bailey to give Taylor Lear a try. He's had a pretty solid start to his tenure as a Rochester American, as we'll mention a couple times recapping these couple of games. The Amherst most recently... uh, one Wednesday night against the Binghamton Devils in a 7 5 thriller. Probably the most significant item of that was that Zach Redmond scored his 19th goal of the season, which was a Rochester Americans franchise record for goals in a season by a defenseman. He's had an incredible season. He was lights out to start the beginning of the season and then came down to earth, but this record was always within his sights after his start to the season and he got it the sad news unfortunately is that with about a minute left he took a nasty hit to the boards and suffered a lower body injury and did not he was declared the first star of the game but did not come out um, to collect his award they have said the direct quote is that he will miss some time i believe uh came from chris taylor So no official diagnosis as of yet, but we're hoping that Zach Redman will return really soon. Other good news is that Taylor Lear got a tip in off a Brendan Gooley shot for his first goal as an American, and he scored again on Friday as the say I was about to say the Sabres the Americans won in a shootout against Utica Lear scored with two minutes left to tie the game and then scored the shootout winner they had a bit of a disappointing one the next night in Syracuse uh, uh last night actually a Saturday night um when they lost in overtime Matt Tennyson sadly had a really ugly turnover for the final goal Quick recap over things going on with the Rochester Americans. There are some very good things going on lately. C.J. Smith is showing that he should be an NHL player, and he never should have been sent back down. He's got three goals and six assists in his last six games since being sent down. The guy, the kid's an NHL player. He's an NHL caliber player. He's consistently the Amherst best player on the ice. Unfortunately, he fell victim to roster issues and was one of the only forwards who could be waived and sent back down, which is probably the only reason why he's not an NHL player um, right now. Hopefully, he gets another opportunity very soon. Other guys who are doing quite well, Daniel Reagan has been a steady and impressive performer of late. He's got six goals and three assists in his last 10 games, scored twice against Binghamton on Wednesday, and Victor Olofsson has found his goal-scoring mojo after quite a long stretch without a goal. He's got three goals and three assists in his last six games. He had gone, like I think, around 10 games without a goal, so it's good to see him firing him back in again. And on the defensive end, I don't have any numbers to back this up, but Will Borgen is progressing quite nicely lately. He's never going to be one that you can talk about with the numbers, but he's developing into a great shutdown defenseman. Um, He was actually featured on the MSG broadcast on Friday, and he seems to be just a wonderful kid. And it's great to see him getting increased opportunities with ice time and penalty killing opportunities. Again, never going to be a guy who's going to put up the huge. Numbers, but he's been really impressive over the last few months and he's having a great season in what is essentially his full rookie season. He was signed out of St. Cloud last year to play about, I don't know, about seven or eight games with the Amherst and he's been great so far this season. Things that aren't going so well for them Zach Redmond's injury is poorly timed as the Amherst are looking to cement their status in the top of their division. However, it is an opportunity for Brendan Gooley to step up into that number one role, but he has not been playing like a player who's ready to do that. It's been a bit of a flat season for him up to this point, and although he did play all right on Friday and score on Saturday, it's going to require a bit of a jump in his game to fill that hole. Other bad news. Alex Nylander has three goals in his last 25 games, and it seems like the Sabres fan base is finally starting to tune in to what the Amex fan base has been saying for a long time, which is just... He's never really been that good. You watch him on the puck and there's a lot of talent there. He can get by guys. He can skate out of circumstances you wouldn't normally think someone should be able to get out of, but he's so rarely in positions to capitalize with any of that. He floats too wide way too commonly. His game along the boards is almost non-existent. He has no front of the net presence. He very rarely goes to scoring positions in the slot. He's 20 and he's young, and there's still time, but there was a period of time where Amrick's fans were kind of saying all of this and felt like they really weren't being listened to, um, but it seems like the Sabres fan fan base is kind of coming into an understanding of just the degree to which this guy's development is languishing. Again, there's still time. He's only 20, but I'm starting to think that Maybe this summer, if you can get a deal that's not a total loss for him, it might be time. To move on with move on from him before the rest of the nhl catches on to the extent to which he is struggling um i don't know if that's necessarily a controversial or a hot take it hasn't gone well this season i mean he he started okay to start the season but three goals in 25 games um is is really not not the progress we were looking for from a character like this so good news and bad news for the Rochester Americans. They're still well on top of their North Division so far. Um, the loss or overtime loss to Syracuse doesn't help so much. That brings Syracuse within three points of them at the top. Um, but they're still having what you could probably say is a very successful season. We're hoping for Redmond to come back very soon for them. We're hoping for Nylander to, to find something in his game sometime soon. But mostly good things for the Americans to report up to here. Moving on to Around Town, not too much this week. The biggest news across the NHL very recently was that Peter Shirelli, the GM of the Oilers, lost his job, and this is the end to a wild tenure for a GM, and there's so many things you can point fingers at him for, from the Adam Larson-Taylor Hall trade that just was completely one-sided to... Different moves like getting caught in a really difficult cap situation with giving Leon Draisaitl 8.5 million and giving Milan Lucic six was it 6.5 or 7 million dollars um, and now he's almost a he's not even an NHL caliber player at this point and he was finally let go. Um, it's a difficult difficult thing to talk about. I mean we 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 enjoy with the Buffalo Sabers a little bit of schadenfreude and enjoy watching other teams struggle as well, but. I mean, when you think about Connor McDavid and you think about the caliber of player that Connor McDavid is, it is weird to think about that his team is now again pressing the reset button and it might be 3 to 4 years before Connor McDavid is on a team that is anywhere near competitive. And you think think about that 3 or 4 years the guy will be 26 27, half of Connor McDavid's career will be over before he has an opportunity to play on a contending team. And while I enjoy watching another team suffer, I I kind of have a little bit of an issue with that. I think that's incredibly bad for the NHL to watch their absolute hands-down best player in the world be on a team like this that is now going to have to find ways to blow this up, to reset it. A GM is going to have to come in and fix this situation. And as we know... As Buffalo Sabres fans, sometimes fixing the situation is not an immediate fix, and although the Oilers know that as well, this is not going to be an immediate turnaround, and it's a little sad for for Connor McDavid and for the lead that this um, is is going to be the future of the Oilers or the near future of the Oilers. Other news, we did have the All-Star game over the last few weeks, and um, Eichel scored or placed second in the speed competition to Connor McDavid, who won it for like the third year in a row. But Eichel showed off some incredible speed and talent that we, of course, know he has. And Eichel and Skinner both scored in the 3v3 tournament. It was a great weekend. It was a fun little thing. I mean, it's it's never going to be something that the fan base, I think, is going to completely get on board with, both with the way that players are selected and the way that the weekend turns out, and also that kind of a blithe on the situation from a few seasons ago with John Scott and the NHL's complete inability to handle any kind of PR situation well. Um, but a fun weekend overall, and now we we talk about trade deadline items moving forward, and that's the next next significant item in the NHL. Moving on to our preview for our next three Sabres games, Sabres have a rough week coming back from the bye week and the all-star break. They're going to play in Columbus on Tuesday, and with the Columbus Blue Jackets, their whole season has been dominated by their two Russian pending UFAs for the end of this season, Artemi Panarin and Sergei, Sergei Bobrovsky. Sorry. And as we are now a month away from the aforementioned trade deadline, this is going to be just increasingly discussed. And it's such a difficult situation. Do you lose them for nothing and go for a cup with your two most talented players, or do you trade them and acquire assets for them to retool for the near future and possibly beyond that? I think what makes it a little bit difficult is that neither of them have been lights-out exceptional. Uh, Never mind. All right, Panarin has been really good. He's on pace for just about over a career year. I believe he has 19 goals and 30-something assists for well over 50 points in 48 games, I believe. I'll have to double-check that, and that's quite, quite good. He's going to get a huge payday regardless of how the next few months go and whether that's with Columbus or somewhere else. Bobrovsky... Not so great. He's, first of all, not been that good. He has a 2.91 goals against average and only a .904 um, save percentage. That's only marginally better than Corposalo, who is their backup, and there's kind of a narrative going on that maybe the Blue Jackets should just dump him and go with Corpusalo going forward, considering Bobrovsky doesn't seem to be hot enough to carry them anywhere in the playoffs anyway. There was also a pretty significant incident a few weeks ago where he was briefly suspended. Um, he has returned since, but the story with that is that he was pulled and replaced by Corpusalo after they had run in a number of games. And Bobrovsky, rather than going and sitting on the bench, left and went into the locker room and got dressed um, and put his suit back on and was ready to walk back out. And they had to go back and get him. I believe a trainer had to go back and get him and say, like, dude, we still need you out there. If Corpusalo gets injured, we won't have a goalie. And I don't... no one really knows what would have happened if Corpusalo had been immediately injured for the last seven minutes of that game, um, but they would have had to wait for Bobrovsky to put his pads back on and go back outside. Um, he was suspended very briefly. He has returned, but Really interesting season for the Columbus Blue Jackets, a team that has assembled a really talented team as they've been looking to win their first ever playoff series. They came quite close against the Capitals last year, went up 2-0 on them, but were unable to finish. Um, And it'll be a really interesting next month to see what they plan to do with those two players. Last time out against the Blue Jackets, the Sabres lost 5-4 in overtime. Panarin scored that overtime goal, um, and they're going back to Columbus to try to to right that wrong as well. Sabres then play the Stars on Wednesday, and we'll be seeing our old pal Taylor Fadoon, who has had a great time there since being traded a few months ago. He's played in 26 out of 27 games, which means we... We'll actually be seeing the Sabres get their conditional seventh-round pick, which was uh, hinged on Fadoon playing 25 games this season. Apparently, he's been quite good for them since coming back. And the last time we talked about Dallas, it was a few weeks ago regarding their president, Jim Light's expletive-laden rant about Tyler Sagan and Jamie Ben not getting the job done. Uh, they were in a wild card spot then, and they are still in a wild card spot now. So the rant really didn't too much, or do too much, to wake Ben or Sagan up. Um, they have 34 and 35. That's not right. Hang on, let me look that back up. I'm about to say they have. Looking at their stats, they're not blowing the league away in any regard. Um, Sorry, having a moment, looking up some stats. Um, And while I'm looking this up, we'll talk about it is a really difficult back-to-back trip. For the Sabres, if you think about going from Columbus one night to the Stars the next night, it's going to be a really difficult travel for them coming back from the All-Star break having this. Yes, Sagan has 45 points and Jamie Ben has 34 points. Sorry about that. And so neither of them have really been tearing it up. Sagan's 45 points in 49 games is very good. But Jamie Benz, for what we know he's capable of, only 18 goals and 16 assists so far this season, 34 points in 48 games. You would really be expecting a bit more from him after that payday. Um, And again, difficult back-to-back for the Sabres playing in Columbus on Tuesday and then in Dallas on Wednesday. They take it back home on Friday against the Blackhawks, and as everybody knows, it has not been the Blackhawks season, to say the least. Um, They pulled everything they could out of their cup window, and they won three cups, but the salary cap and age wait for no one, and it's quite obvious that this window is now closed for them. Um, They're fifth from the bottom of the standings. They're 3-4-3 in their last 10. Some sad news happened uh, regarding Corey Crawford about a month ago. He was concussed again. Um, he had suffered a concussion, what was it, back in last December that took him out for the rest of the season, and the narrative this summer was that his vertigo from the concussions were so or was so significant that he might have had to retire in this offseason, but he was able to return and played a few games for them, I believe around November, but he had a nasty collision with Evander Kane, who got tied up going to the net and was concussed again and has not played since. I've read somewhere that he still does plan to return, which is really concerning for me, Um, thinking about a player with that kind of history still wanting to get back out on the ice, but I still wish him the best in recovery. Um, Regardless, the Blackhawks are still dangerous. Patrick Kane has 71 points this season, 71 points in 50 games. They have some weapons, even if they are a bit top-heavy and slow. And the Sabres have a great ability to play to the level of their opponent this season and every season, and they need to avoid that here and run away with this one. Looking at these three, I want to hope for at least four points, but who knows what's going to happen between the bye week for the Sabres, the all-star break for the NHL, coming back from that situation into a nasty back-to-back traveling to Dallas against a team who is not playing on Tuesday night. Um, They're playing some some struggling, but some very, very dangerous teams. Who knows at this point? I think it's going to be a very... Interesting week, to say the least, um, and I don't want to jump to make very many predictions. The Sabres need to start winning games, though, and so we'll see what happens in that regard. That's about going to do it for today's episode. As we mentioned, we have no mailbag this week, but remember, you can shoot them in um, to ikga on Twitter or ikkawpod at gmail.com thanks very much for listening if you enjoy the show please tell your friends to check us out on iTunes Spotify or wherever else you find your podcasts we'll see you next week keep those heads up Savers fans it might not get much better but remember it can't get any worse we'll see you guys soon in to Oboso. Oboso hanging on to it back at the point Oboso drops it off in the corner to Eichel Eichel buzzing around Eichel you